Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode one of Cosmos Crusaders. Because this is our first episode, we wanted to start out by giving a little bit of introduction um, to ourselves, the host of the show, and also a little bit of an idea for why we actually started this. So starting out with myself, uh, my name is Gokul Srinivasaragavan. I go by he, him pronouns, and I am a first year PhD student in the astronomy department at the University of Maryland College Park. I was born in the Bay Area, um, and both of my parents are immigrants from India, from Tamil Nadu. And I graduated from Caltech with a degree in astrophysics in 2021, where I also was a student athlete and played basketball. And I also played basketball for basically my entire life. Um, so now on to my beautiful co-host, Simi, and also my partner. Hi everyone, I'm Simi. I'm 22 years old and I'm from the Bay Area. Um, I recently graduated from UCSD and I'm going to start law school in the fall and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, Gokul is my boyfriend and we started this podcast together for reasons that I'm going to let him delve more into because he sort of just approached me with this idea and I said yes. So he can go ahead and talk about it first. Yeah, so I guess the idea for starting a podcast, not this one in particular, but the idea of starting a podcast in general was one I've had for a little bit, um, starting from probably when I was a sophomore in college. So I have to give a shout out to two of my brothers, Noah Barnes and Stephen Hay, um, because our the original podcast was actually supposed to be done with them. They were teammates of mine on Caltech's basketball team. And we were supposed to do a podcast that had to do with sort of different topics that had to do with being a student athlete. Um, and also just with life in general, um, there were a lot of things that we wanted to talk about, just like mental health and um, just different things like along those lines, but we never really could have got that off the ground. But I just say that to say that the idea for starting a podcast for me has been on my mind for a while because I really enjoy hearing stories. Um, I've loved reading books as a kid. Uh, I also enjoy writing stories. I would actually write a lot of stories for fun when I was a kid too. So stories have always been something that sort of have just been really important to me. And I guess the idea for this podcast in particular was sort of the culmination of a lot of experiences that I had um, during my time at Caltech and also my first year as a PhD student in Maryland. So it kind of all culminated when I went to the high energy astrophysics division meeting um, held by AAAS in Pittsburgh um, during March. So at that meeting, that was the first meeting that I went to as a grad student, first conference I went to as a grad student. And there I saw, well, there wasn't very much representation for underrepresented groups in the field. Um, as most people know, astronomy and astrophysics is a very white male dominated field. And going into the grad school, I sort of knew that. It just saddened me that I know that there are people of other races other genders and that come from different experiences that would make an amazing scientist, but they just don't have the representation and people to sort of guide them and look up to them that have similar experiences that can help them get to where they want to. And I just wanted to do my own little part in sort of making the field a better place for underrepresented students and minorities. So that's sort of how Cosmos Crusaders was born. Yeah, of course, me as someone who is not an astrophysicist, um, I'm just here trying to do my part in helping Gokul and his community um, in any sense of that word, sort of be confident in their voices um, in a field where they're underrepresented. And 
um, for me, who, someone who is starting law school in the fall at a graduate institution, I don't know what I'm going to be getting myself into and how the um, experience will be. So I just want to make sure that we bring people onto this podcast who we can share their experiences to make sure that our viewers are inspired to see that they can pursue something that they really want to as well. And they don't have to be afraid of the barriers that may be in place stopping them. Um, I just hope that we can make any sort of impact, not just on the field of astrophysics, but the whole higher education, higher education in general. Yeah, so I was extremely excited when Simi agreed to co-host a podcast with me because I think that she brings a lot of unique perspectives from someone who is not in the field of astronomy or astrophysics. Um, and as you guys will see from the first interview we had with um, my good friend Isaiah, um, we'll get into that a little bit later, but she is bring, able to bring different perspectives to the show and sort of ask questions that people in the field would never really think about asking. And she has a really unique view of viewing the world. And um, yeah, she's really great. I could talk about her more and more, but that's not the part, that's not the part of this podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just really happy to do this with Simi. Um, and yeah, we have matching headphones, matching necklaces as well. So this is just on a personal level making me very happy to do. Um, but yeah, uh, so now I guess getting into sort of our first guest, um, that's Isaiah Holt. And we did Isaiah's interview a couple of days ago now. Um, and we were really happy with how it went, especially it being our first interview and first time we've ever sort of done anything like this. Um, part of that is just because Isaiah is such an easy person to talk to. Um, he genuinely is an amazing person and has such a big heart and is incredibly selfless, as you guys will see from the interview. He is an amazing researcher, um, but an even more amazing person. And so we talk about a lot of things in the interview, but a couple of the things that I sort of wanted to highlight was sort of a little bit about his personal journey, which we get into. And also, um, he has a love for implementing inclusive learning practices in the field. And we talked about that in, in the interview. So if any um, upper career folk are watching this, and you guys just have like 10 minutes out of your day, um, I would really, really encourage you to listen to what Isaiah has to say about his ideas for how to implement inclusive learning practices into the field, because that will help make the field a better place um, for more people who have the ability um, and have sort of the drive to succeed and make really, really amazing contributions to space science. But just may not have the opportunity to do so because of the way that something is sort of taught towards them, um, which I think is really just a shame because um, we need to make astrophysics as inclusive as a field as we can for the future. So yeah, um, that was sort of my main takeaways from our interview with Isaiah. Also a lot of really cool sound bits. Um, he's a really dope guy. Um, Simi, do you have anything to add? Isaiah was awesome. I'm really happy that our first episode was him. Um, and thank you, Isaiah, for coming on. I'm excited to see how this progresses, but I think we're off to a really great start. And I wanted to thank everyone who's watching for supporting us and for supporting Isaiah and everyone else who's to come. I'm very excited to see where this goes. Yeah, me too. Thank you, everyone. Um, so now on to our interview with Isaiah. I am extremely excited 
to present our first guest on Cosmos Crusaders and a little bit of an introduction. Um, it's my brother, Isaiah Holt. Isaiah is a second year PhD student in the astronomy department at the University of Maryland College Park. He got his bachelor's degree in astronomy and physics from Penn State. Um, he is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he is a lover of neutron stars and Naruto, which we will get into later in the episode. And he also recently won the NASA Pathways Fellowship, which is an incredibly amazing accomplishment, and we'll also get into that later. So welcome, Isaiah. How are you doing, bro? Hello. Thank you so much for the introduction. It was so sweet. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, bro, you're an icon. Oh, okay. I don't know about that one. But... <laughs> no, it's true. I can confirm you're pretty iconic. Oh, jeez. I'm just just trying to make it through life. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just like everyone else. Yes, sir. So, yeah, we'll get right into it, bro. Um, okay. So, I know last night was a long night for you because oh. you're working on the draft for your second year project. So just a little bit of background at UMD, we don't have a qualifying exam. What we have is a second year project where all of the research that you do during your first and second year sort of culminates into this project that you write up as an academic style paper. And then you submit it and then you create a presentation and you um, perform the presentation in front of the second year project committee. So it's kind of like a thesis defense, like a mini thesis defense um, sort of in preparation for your actual thesis defense in year five, six, whenever you do that. So I know that your project's general goal was to sort of make progress towards understanding the core composition of neutron stars more. Could you describe a little bit more about what, what specifically you did in that project and what sort of it's about? Yeah, so there's this mission at NASA called NICER, the Neutron Star Interior Composition Explorer. And that mission looks at pulsars and <laughs> the main goal of this mission is to determine what the core composition is of these neutron stars. Unfortunately, we can't just go to the neutron star and do direct experiments on them. So we have to use indirect methods to learn about this core composition meaning measuring its bulk properties, for example, radius, mass, and tidal deformability. In my project, I'm trying to make sure we get it right, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to see if it's possible that the radius and mass, more so the radius, is affected by this thing called systematic errors. This means that when we fit a model to the data, if we get a when we get a statistically good fit, that raises great like green flags. But the radius could be somewhere far off from the expected value. So, in statistics, you know, when we fit models to data and we see that okay, looks pretty good, we stop there. But that's not, that can kind of have some problems with that. For the example, I just talked about when you could have a good fit to the data, but your radius value not be accurate at all. So how do we track this stuff down? Let me think. Ah, gotcha. So we are generating a bunch of synthetic data 
I'm not using nicer data right now. So we're generating synthetic data using models that describe the light that is coming from the neutron star and fitting a bunch of incorrect models to this data to see how the radius reacts. So I think there's three cases that are that is important to note. If the radius value is consistent with our expectation and the fit is good, then that's okay. If the radius is not consistent with the expected value and the fit is bad, that is also okay because we were alerted that something happened. But <laughs> if the fit is good and the radius is not consistent with, the, with our expectation, then something is wrong and we need to think about it. So <laughs> that is, is something I've been trying to do for the past two years. And you're right, I am doing my second year project on that. And so far I've gotten, I'd say I'd scratch, I scratched the surface, but this will be my PhD project. So we'll be doing a bunch of model fitting and taking it from there. But it's kind of something my advisor has said is that, you know, we don't want to get punched in the jaw, but if we do, we need to figure out why that happened. <laughs> That's a very cold thing to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure, bro. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, so hey, Simi, I think you wanted to ask the next question. Okay, yeah. Um, well, I've personally never taken a physics class, like even in high school. So when you guys talk about your research, like it doesn't really sink into my brain. So how would you go across like describing your research to someone with no like scientific background? Like what even is a neutron star? <laughs> Oh, that's a great question. Okay. So what is a neutron star? Okay. So I'm going to play a little bit on stuff, how stars evolve with time. So you have this big, massive star. Cool. It's moving along its life cycle, but what's going on inside of its core, there's a lot of burning going on, burning of elements like hydrogen, helium, carbon, and this burning is a result of this, I'll say battle, battle between pressure. So pressure going, going towards moving out of the star and then that's versing the gravity that's, that wants to compress the star. So burning's happening, you got hydrogen, helium, carbon that goes all the way up to iron because once you get to iron, that is considered to be ash. There's no more energy being outputted. So that doesn't fuel the pressure, the outward pressure. So what happens? You start collapse. Star, star collapses, and then you get this shock wave of this thing called, called a supernova. A bunch of matter is just pushing out into space and then what you're left with, depending on the mass of the star, is a neutron star. Now, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. Well, Sammy hears me talk about supernova all the time. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. But I never made that connection. <laughs> so a little bit of the anatomy of a neutron star is that there's an atmosphere, there's a crust, and then there's a core. So in the atmosphere, you have your protons, neutrons, electrons, uh, mostly pr protons and no, protons and electrons, I think. And then as you move down towards the top crust layer, you have elements like iron, other nucleus, nuclei. And then it gets interesting when you start going down further because neutron stars are extremely dense. And I'll, I'll get to a comparison when we get to the core part. But in the crust, moving down, the protons, electrons are getting closer to each other. And as you keep going down, the density increases. So they start hanging out a little bit more. At some point, they combine, and then you get your neutrons. Keep going down further towards the core. These neutrons in their nuclei start to drip out. So meaning that <laughs> neutrons can exist. They can move around freely outside their nuclei. And then keep going down. I won't go into this thing called nuclear pasta, but a lot of things are getting stretched, pulled, and sheets are showing up, all that jazz. But now we're at the core. And we don't know what's going on. We don't know what oh. the, comp the composition is because it's some form of matter that we don't know anything about. But the density is, oh my goodness, extremely <laughs> dense. And here's the analogy. So I've been told that if you take the entire human population and put it in a teaspoon, that is about the density of the core matter. So that's pretty wild. And there's a lot of people on this earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, these things that you guys study are like so hard to comprehend because there's the numbers are so big, everything is so far away, makes you feel very small. <laughs> it it makes it's so interesting because you know, right, you have these huge objects, hot objects, you know, cool objects, and you can only look up. You can only see what we see from Earth with our eyes or telescopes, you know, we can see images. That's all great. It's really hard to imagine what it would be like if you went to those objects um, because of all the astrophysical things that go on. So it, it's it's really, it feels, I call it, what do I call it? <laughs> it's like It's like a dance with problem solving because you really want to know something, but... <laughs> something else could happen that screws up your data analysis or observations yeah. and you just you keep chasing it but you really want to know I feel like that's with everything because you know we want to figure out things but especially in astronomy it's really like that that dance sort of analogy is really interesting I never heard that before that's a really good way of looking at it though I think I've heard it somewhere and it just yeah, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah. That's sick, bro. Uh, neutron stars are 
really amazing. Um, if there's one person that probably loves Neutron Source more than you, it has to be your advisor, Cole Miller. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Cole because um, the advising relationship um, is a very important part in graduate school. Um, a lot of people say that picking your advisor sort of determines your trajectory in graduate school and your experience. So Cole is has a very different sort of academic experience than me and you have had because he is quite literally a child prodigy. He graduated with his PhD from Caltech when he was 21, which means he probably went to undergrad when he was like 12 or 13. Um, so I wanted to just ask sort of how that relationship is between you guys, especially because you guys have had such different experiences and what it's like to work for Cole. I, that's a great question. Very detailed question. <laughs> So when I was applying to UMD, I had this idea of what objects I'd be interested in studying. And pulsars were one of them. Yeah, neutron stars. Something, radio astronomy has been something I've wanted to do since Pulsar Surgical Laboratory at Penn State. So I was doing some research on UMD's website. And yeah, Cole came up. And he seemed like he seemed, I saw the list of accomplishments. I didn't even see the, the, the date that he got his degrees that completely went over me. But I saw that, you know, he has a lot of interesting titled papers and he's on YouTube a lot, giving talks and stuff like that. I was able to watch a couple of those Though when I just got here, which was about two, two years ago, I understood none of it because <laughs> there's so much information that he just talks about. It's incredible. But when I started working with him, it kind of challenges me to think more deeply about things. So... <laughs> I have a hard time asking questions and, you know, going the next step in some topic or something like that. But when we have our discussions in our weekly meetings, it's, it's, it's like he asks me questions, asks for my opinion, and which is something that you're kind of supposed to do as a advisor, advisee thing, but it's very pedagogical. Pedagogical, whatever that word is, very teaching like, yes. And I really do appreciate that because it's not just a relationship where, okay, you're here, let's do this research, and we're not going to talk about it or any development or anything like that. It's, it's the opposite. It's a very large learning experience and I do appreciate it we haven't had any crazy problems yet and I hope that never happens <laughs> but to be you know to be a student of his is very interesting and I'm learning a lot yeah I'll say that yeah it's yeah. great to hear bro uh, oh sorry Simi go ahead oh no I was just gonna say that's super awesome um do you think that it helps that you and Cole have sort of a relationship outside of school because I've heard that you guys play basketball together occasionally 
Do you think that helps? <laughs> so, I think, well, I know where you got that information from. But yes, <laughs> we did that once. And that's because Cole emailed, <laughs> emailed us about it. And I was like, yeah, sure. I like basketball. You like basketball. Let's see how this goes. Because I'm, I'm always curious about how people are outside of the academic environment, especially mm-hmm. professors, because, yes. you know, that's all you see them in. <laughs> so we did that. And I, you know, he can shoot. I, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with anybody on that. <laughs> so he went to basketball camp. And, you know, he's really big on that sport and it really shows, you know, every time I walk into his office, I make, I look down to the bottom right of his office corner and his basketball is always there. So, and I think he, today he went to go shoot, you know, just to relieve some stress. So once his second year's over, my project's done, I'm like, I will join you more often (laughs) because I, I need to fix my shot. <laughs> <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah be shooting like, like with one hand straight up, like with his left hand, he'll, he'll, he'll like hold it slightly and he'll just like straight up shoot with his, <laughs> with his one hand. And I asked him why, why do you do that, Isaiah? He's exposing me. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I mean, I've never yeah. seen anything like that before. <laughs> no, it's just, I rely on my left hand so much, like, for writing and doing other things that my right hand is just like okay follow this hand exactly so but I think I've been asked about that actually more than I can count honestly (laughs) because people watch my my form (laughs) okay Gokul can help you out with that (laughs) right yeah I played a little bit I played a little (laughs) just just here and there (laughs) Yeah, just here and there. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> Cole, yeah, Cole, sh- shooting around with Cole was definitely not something I expected to do when I came to UMB, <laughs> but uh, it was pretty sick. Yeah, and he can, he can definitely shoot. I was very surprised um, of how good of a shooter he is. Um, so we'll definitely get that going again next year. Um, but yeah, also Cole, if you've ever taken a class with him, um, definitely the best class I've taken so far in my career has been the radiative transfer class I took with them so just having him as a professor and I can kind of tell that he would be someone that extremely knowledgeable as an advisor as well so I'm glad to hear that's going really well for you guys so far yeah same but um let's just backtrack a little bit like bring it back to many years ago and get some more background on you and how you (laughs) came to be here so like what what prompted you when you were younger and you were applying to colleges what prompted you to study space for the for the rest of your career so it's a combination of things i'll say one of the first things is the cosmos tv show so both hosted by carl sagan and no degrasse tyson i've watched a good bit of the, the series from both of them and i kind of piqued my interest starting there (laughs) and then you know I started watching massive videos on YouTube a bunch of different launches whatever science is going on and just seeing pictures of earth from space was real trippy (laughs) (laughs) and I thought it was like super cool and that's that was like 
think around middle school age, stuff like that. And then astronomy kind of took like a backseat because going into high school and things are happen happening, people are growing up and all that stuff, right, cool. So I take an astronomy class in junior year of high school. My, I think early, yeah. No, because they don't have semesters in high school. What am I thinking? It's just a full year. Right. Cool. Oh, really? So, is it like yeah. that? It's like that in Pittsburgh? Yeah, it's it's um <laughs> we sign up for classes and that's what we take the whole year. There's no no semesters, all oh. 180 days. Yeah. I feel like it was like that for me too. It was like um, that in mission I, too. Mm-hmm. I think the only class that we didn't take the whole year was like health and geography. I guess that's true. Yeah, there's a couple of them for that we did as well. Sorry, Isaiah. Go ahead. No, you're fine. You're fine. That's great. No. <laughs> but I took this astronomy class. It was just a gen ed. I didn't have to take it, but you know, I've watched videos and done stuff. So I thought, oh yeah, it'd be a cool thing to revisit. So I revisited it and we watched Cosmos pretty much again. Cause the professor likes well, the teacher liked that well, like that too. And there was, oh, I can't remember. Oh, right. Okay. So we did a class project and it was just a simple research project. You look up an astrophysical object out in space and then you do a five minute presentation on it. Me and my partner, we chose the black hole. So crazy, crazy objects, super, I use super wild, you know, it's, extreme gravity and when light goes past the event horizon so actually no i won't get into too much detail but <laughs> light can't escape from a black hole that's all i'll say and we gave that presentation it was pretty good the professor like the teacher liked it i'm so mixing up words right now but <laughs> that experience was fun and then i go to my physics class a couple weeks into the semester where there was this lecture series called Westinghouse Science Honors Institute. And it was just 12 lectures during the weekends, I think every Saturday for, yeah, 12 weeks. And it was just a bunch of lectures on science stuff, ranging from CSI, biology, to dark matter and exoplanets. So I was into the exoplanets and dark matter stuff because, you know, physics and astronomy, that was my thing I was interested in. So I took that with me. And then it came time for my senior year project when I, I got to the next year. So we had to, oh, pick a job, pick a job that you would like to do research on, possibly what you would want to do in the future. So I picked astrophysicist. And I asked my teachers, you know, where can I talk to a real astrophysicist? Because we had to actually job shadow somebody and do, and do that, take notes on that stuff. And they told me, well, you can try University of Pittsburgh or Carnegie Mellon and see what works there. Uh, I think I emailed, I emailed Carnegie Mellon and I emailed, here's another one. I emailed Pitt, Carnegie Mellon. I can't remember if I emailed Duquesne. I can't remember, but 
the result was I got a meeting with a pit professor and he was the person that gave the dark matter talk at the Westinghouse lectures. So that felt like a circle that was connected. Mm -hmm. So we chatted and I, I have never, at that stage, when a lot of information is given to me and there's a lot of technical words, my mind kind of shuts down, at least at that stage. But, you know, every time he would say something, he'd check in with me and be like, oh, okay, what did you think of this? Were you confused here? Of course I was. Or, you know, <laughs> can I explain something else? And I was like, sure, sure, sure. Took notes. And I left there, gave my presentation on being an astrophysicist. And the teachers there were like, oh, wow, this seems like a very, very hard job and very like technical science-y. And it's like, can you, can you actually do that as, you know, as a career? I said, yeah, I looked it up. It's, you, can, you can be a NASA astrophysicist. You can be a professor at a university. You can do these things. And that's kind of what pushed me to make it my undergraduate major at Penn State. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, a real full circle moment for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, bro. Uh, it's funny that you're interested in exoplanets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you told Have you told Arjun that he would be elated? Yes, I did, and I, I think when I first met him, I was like, because I was wearing my HPF newid shirt from Penn State. Those are two spectrographs that does exoplanet stuff. Yeah, I thought it was a really good a good gig, but I just rediscovered my liking for neutron stars. <laughs> yeah. Just a bit of background. Arjun is another second year um, in our department, and he is an absolute exoplanet lover. He wants to try to he tries to convert people to study exoplanets because he thinks they're so cool. <laughs> he's mostly joking about it, but he's pretty convincing. He's pretty convincing. And honestly, my love for exoplanets has grown ever since meeting him. So he does a good job about it. Yeah, I too am an exoplanet lover now. <laughs> All right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so next question I wanted to ask is a little bit about your experiences at Penn State. Um, so just like to begin with, I guess, how would you sort of describe the culture of the department at Penn State? Very academic, I'll say that. It's, you know, pretty, pretty hard in the books, or I should say, you know, it's, they do a lot of good science, I'll say Penn State does, Penn State Astro. So when I got there, I didn't quite, my first semester, I didn't quite take classes in the astro department yet. It's just a weird system where you take a bunch of physics classes and math classes, and then you take in the major astro class in your sophomore year. So that class was whew, a wake-up call for me. <laughs> it's, it was so hard. It was a big survey class talking about things from asteroids to cosmology that's such a big range and you know we did it all within a span of a year because it's two separate classes that 
broke that up. And honestly, even though it was hard, it was, it was extremely hard because I'm coming from just a different mindset of thinking about science and math in a certain way. But it really forced me to adjust how I read open-ended problems, how I think about, oh, a problem with Kepler's orbits or something like that. So it's very academic there. <laughs> um, there are good people there. I, I did have some interesting experiences. And if I had to pick a different, like a different school for undergrad, I don't think I could because, you know, Penn State is also a pretty good astronomy and astrophysics program. Um, but we'll probably, we'll probably get into that a little later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I asked that question because I'm very interested in learning about how, because I think culture is a very important part of a program. Mm -hmm. It might be the most important part in my opinion, actually, um, just coming from the background I have in basketball, like the culture of your program sort of determines how you guys do. Like you could have the best players in the world, but if you don't have a good culture around that, you're not going to succeed no matter how much talent you have. Um, so I guess sort of comparing and contrasting how the culture is at UMD and the culture mm -hmm. is at Penn State, like what would you say some of like the differences and similarities are? I would say... I don't know if I'll be biased, but, you know, since I was an undergrad, I had a lot going on and my head was in the books a lot and I didn't really spend that too much time in the department. But when I did, you know, here at UMD, there's a lot of interaction, there's a lot of talking and I think that's I think that's amazing, you know, especially within the graduate students. And then I see the undergrads all talk to each other, and that's really fun. They all we all have our own different spaces here at UMD, which we're trying to join our two groups so we get can get to know each other. But we'll talk about that later. But at Penn State, it was kind of kind of different. At least I don't know how the graduate student life was there. It seems like everybody was focused on what they were doing. But maybe outside, they were a lot more friendly or something like that. Um, but within the undergrads, after our first two astronomy major classes, we were like, oh, yeah, we need to stick together <laughs> so we can pass. And I think, yeah, we had that connection where we talked, and that was really cool. Um, but... Yeah, I just, I just don't know how the grad life was there. I talked to a couple because I was kind of on the same project as them, but I was doing something different. So I chatted with them and they were really cool, really cool people. Um, I just don't know how the group talked to each other. <laughs> yeah. So, sure. Yeah. And then I didn't also, I didn't know about didn't know too many astro professors other than the ones that I took classes with so um, they seemed okay you know very straightforward no not so much storytelling 
except for my advisor at Penn State. Super cool. But here I can I can see you know a lot more interaction and storytelling, which I think comes with the graduate student badge that you get. So <laughs> I don't know why, but you know, maybe because undergrads come and go, but I feel like that can be a little different. I mean, you wear that badge well now. You tell some oh, great stories. Oh, so. <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> um, so the next question I had was um, a bit of a loaded one. So from conversations we've had, mm -hmm. I know that you are one of the only Black undergraduates in the astronomy program. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering how your experiences at Penn, shape, at, at Penn State were shaped by that fact. So yeah, for as much as I can remember, I was the only African-American student in my year at Penn State. And at first, you know, it felt a little, a little odd, but I grew up, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, my neighborhood is very diverse, but I went to a pretty much white dominated high school, middle school, and all that stuff. So I am kind of adjusted to that scene that, what is that? Oh, what is, what do they call that? Never mind, I can't find the word. So I'll just say scene. I'm used to that area. So when I got to Penn State, I didn't really think too much of it, but I was also, met with um <laughs> i was met with a very good thing i am very grateful for so i got this thing called the buttonwaller fellowship and that helps minority students through their undergraduate undergraduate career pays for their tuition all four years and connects them with a huge cohort of minorities so that's where I met one of my one of my best friends, and he was a physics major. So at Penn State, there's two different departments, physics and astrophysics. They're they are kind of in the same building, two really close to each other, but can call it the same building. Um, so we kind of latched on <laughs> to each other and talked a lot and hung out a lot. So I kind of had that to relate because um, he's, he's half, he's half African-American. So, you know, I was able to connect on that level and that made it a little less weird. So, but in astronomy, yeah, it, it wasn't, I was still the only African-American there, but I still made great friends. Like the fact that I was able to adapt, I, uh, I have best friends, you know, that who don't look like me and it's like okay you know i try to make the situation the best it could be or something like that i'm an optimist if you can't <laughs> i smile a lot and that's just that's just how i am it can be good it can be bad sometimes so but that's how i roll but i was also connected to the diversity office at penn state so my fellowship is pretty much through that office. So I spent a lot of time there when I needed to get away from 
some stuff and talk to my fellowship advisor and <laughs> we have a funny relationship <laughs> because you know she always keeps an eye on me and stuff like that make sure i'm doing okay it, it feels feels like a family member which is kind of cool so i was very fortunate to have the experience that i've had at penn state so yeah, I don't think I trade that. That's why I think if I had to do it over again, I'd still stay. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Props to you for having such an <laughs> optimistic mindset. I think more people would benefit from seeing things the way that you do. But um, just kind of going off that and also the divide that you were talking about at Penn with the grads graduate students and the undergrads um like if you were put as the head of the department do you have any ideas of how you would try to like bridge that gap and make learning more inclusive like not just based on race but also like for grad and undergrad students i think if i had that if i had that decision at least on the first day of classes maybe have some type of mixer or something like that where everybody can get in one room and talk to each other see what's going on and you can even you know scientists like to do science things it can even be a poster session or something like that but i know people can get intimidated by just oh plopping right into research so that may not always be the best way but some sort of you know get together meet and greet something like that because i don't remember that happening when i got there but yeah no i i i think the fact that we're in the same department i feel like we should know each other a little bit more i know we're busy both groups have a lot of other things to do but you know it i'd walk down the hallway and you know <laughs> I feel like, you know, I'd say, oh, yeah, this is so-and-so. I'd like to say hi or something like that. So, yeah, there was really wasn't that connection. And if I had a decision, i just have a little meet and greet. Maybe that can do something. And I think that would carry relationships farther. But other people may have better ideas. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I mean, it's really exciting that you you both have been working on these, like, EDI initiatives at UMD, so you guys could definitely implement something like that over there. <laughs> but that's a great idea. Um, just like kind of transitioning from that, like, why did you choose UMD for grad school? Um, like, did you kind of know about the environment there beforehand? Did you have many other options? So when I was doing graduate school applications, UMD was not on my list at the beginning. Wow. So it wasn't until I went to AAS in January of 2020. And that after I gave my poster session, somebody came by and we chatted about the poster and then chatted about graduate school. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. The person asked, have you, have you ever thought about applying to UMD? And I was like, no, I never thought about it. And he said that, oh, well, you should um, give it give it a shot because there's some cool people that do this type of research at the time I was doing fast radio bursts. 
And I was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. So I go on my phone right then and there to see when the application deadline was. And I think it passed at the time. And I showed him, he was like, well, give me a moment. <laughs> so he goes away, he comes back and he said, oh yeah, I talked to somebody that I know at U U University of Maryland. And they said that, oh yeah, you can apply, no problem. Um, we haven't even gotten through all of the applications yet. So you still have time to submit it and you don't even need your physics GRE score. And I'm flabbergasted. I'm like, oh, <laughs> deadlines, you know, they can be a little f flexible. That's incredible. So you know what I do? After that situation, uh, that situation, after that discussion, I went back to my hotel and then I applied on my bed. I applied that same night. I was so quick. And the funny thing was, I I think that was the first school I heard from like I heard back from. Like you were on the wait list or something like that. That was just schools I didn't hear from yet. But UMD was quick. And I thought that was that was really cool. But what solidified me going was their connection with NASA. So NASA Goddard is pretty much down the street from UMD. So there's a lot of collaboration going on. And over my undergraduate career, I've been wrestling with, oh, do I want to become a professor or do I want to be a NASA scientist? I like talking about science to people and maybe I can do that as a professor, you know, do all that stuff. Or work at NASA, work on missions and stuff like that. It'd be really cool being an astrophysicist there. Yeah. Um, so I, was, I kept weighing these until you know i saw that okay i can do outreach opportunities at nasa and just you know maybe go to different schools go to different community centers do something that communicates astronomy to the public and i, I feel like that that scratches my itch for you know communicating science so the nasa <laughs> astrophysicist shot up and I'm like, yeah, I want to do this. It's going to be great. I want to do everything I can to get to NASA one day. I got six years, but I'm going to do it one way or another. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy, bro. I did not know that's how you applied to UMD. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Derek. Like, it must have been Derek Richardson. He's been the head of the admissions committee for the past three years. So it must have been him who was like, yeah, we're not done with the application yet. Just let him submit it. So it turned out to be Eliza. Oh, it was Eliza. Was oh, was yes. that before Derek started? Oh, okay. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Shout out Eliza yeah. then. That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So I, I, oh my goodness, all these experiences that has happened to me. I, I'm so grateful to those people. I swear. Yeah. That's great, bro. <laughs> yeah. So sort of moving on, I guess into your life at UMD. Um, mm -hmm. We're both part of EDI, the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusivity Committee, um, mm -hmm. whose aim is to improve the environment when it comes to underrepresented groups in not only the department here, but also sort of the field of astronomy and physics in general. Um, and also ACE, which is um, a program that we have started in place to, honestly, what, is it, what does it stand for again? astronomy community engagement ah that's what it was uh, astronomy community engagement yeah so which is sort of put in place to increase 
interactions and sort of build a community between the undergraduate students and graduate students because that's sort of not seen in a lot of institutions and we kind of want to change that here so I guess I wanted to ask a couple of things about the stuff that you're involved with. First off, what sort of prompted you to play such a big role in these organizations? Because you put in a lot of your effort into making changes and sort of making this community a better place for people that don't have the representation that other groups might have in the field. Um, so I guess what sort of prompts you to have the energy to continue to input so much I don't know, just like passion into these endeavors, especially when there are instances where we're met with resistance, especially from senior faculty members at times where they don't really show the support that we deserve for these initiatives. Um, also in place in the, cause I know we've had conversations where you told me that your mindset in undergraduate was sort of like tunnel vision. Like I'm gonna focus on myself and I'm going to, get to where I need to be for my career so I can eventually get to NASA or be a professor or whatever. So yeah, sorry, a bit of a loaded question, but yeah. Oh, you got the first half of that answer. Yes. <laughs> An undergraduate, I I knew what I wanted. I know what I wanted to do, wanted to do. So, you know, I put on my blinders and I go. I went and I'm like, I want to set myself up where I can have the opportunity to be a NASA astrophysicist. Now that I'm in grad school, I feel there's there's really no need for those blinders anymore because I'm in a position where I can do things now for other people. I I'll say like I've made it, you know, I've gotten past the undergraduate grades, test scores, and all that stuff. You know, and I was just me, me, myself, and my research. <laughs> so but you know, just doing research isn't fulfilling enough. I want to be able to do things for other people. Community engagement would be, in my first thought, yeah, community engagement would be great because I like to talk to people and being able to merge the graduate and undergraduate student bodies together, that'd be just great. You know, if we knew each other, I feel like things would go a lot more smooth, smoothly in the department and we can just hang out, that'd be great. So that's part of it. And then the other part is graduate students. I am so glad I chose this place for graduate school because the graduate students were so cool with each other, at least that I know of. So I can't speak for everybody, but you know, we talk a lot, we hang out a lot. We, you know, we're honest with each other. That's a big thing. So, you know, we can tell each other when something's not it or when something is it, that's great. And we'll always back each other up. And that's, I, I feel like that's a great foundation. So even when times get tough, we have each other. So I think that's a really good thing. It's so like reassuring to hear that you're comfortable around your grad students, your fellow grad students, and you're really trying to like make a difference. It's really inspiring, um, but like you have a couple years left in the program. What are some like goals that you really want to see be set into place for inclusive learning practices by the time that you leave? It's a great, oh, that's a great question. <laughs> so I'm really interested in inclusive learning and I don't know too much about it, but 
I, I just want, it's the feeling that I want people to, you know, get everything out of a class that you can get in the right way in terms of teaching. So I'm going to backtrack again. Once I get, once I got the Penn State, my first class was physics. Oh, geez. What was the number? doesn't matter. Introduction to classical mechanics. Yes. So it was in this big room and there was, I think like 40 of us, big room, no traditional desk, like the, the weird desk. And then the seat right there, just round tables, bunch of chairs around them. And we just sat wherever, and that was our semester seat. And in those tables, that was our team for the semester. We did problems together. We did quizzes together. We did in class, in class, oh, what did, uh, in class clickers with each other. We did a lot of things as a team. And coming, coming from someone that used to like keep to himself a lot, that was a big eye-opening thing because, you know, in science, we collaborate. That is a big thing. And I, I think that's the best way to move on in academia or in the industry as a team. So there's some classes, though, that are still in the traditional way. You know, you get your lecture and, you know, you take notes. You listen to the professor talk for 50 minutes hour 15 minutes I don't know how helpful that is but at least for me I know that working in a team doing some active learning some you know reverse classroom stuff makes me retain the information a lot better and I don't feel like I am left behind I really don't so if if I could do that somehow if I had the ability to do that here at UMD That'd be great, but there's one problem. We have 200 person classes. <laughs> so I, I'm like, you know, we have these big lecture hall classes and, you know, there's just a lot of wrong things with that. But I think the biggest one is like people get left behind. They feel like, oh, the professor's moving at this speed and, I can't keep up, but then there's also like 200 other people in this class that may feel different and, you know, probably wants the class to speed up, but <laughs> it's the opposite for that other person. So that's, that's, that's a, a, a nail in the road, just trying to figure out what to do with the large lecture classes. Um, I guess the, one of the ways, one of the ideas would be, you know, hire more people or something like that. But then you get into money issues and logistics, and I don't know anything about that. But if somebody, you know, I could be informed on that and talk to people, that'd be great. But, you know, I, I can't assume anything about money or logistics <laughs> when it comes to hiring new people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we both know how hard that, how hard that, that has been. Um, in years for different institutions so yeah we don't have to go down that rabbit hole right now but um, but that does seem something that is easier to implement for grad classes because like I mean our classes we have like how many people do we have six plus nine usually yeah 
yeah like around like 15 people a class um so that's definitely seems easier to implement for smaller classes so i mean if that's something that we want to work towards during your time here i think we can try to make that happen that'll be really great i am down i am i am down and i'm also open to you know collaborating with people on this so that'd be really cool i got four years to do it <laughs> for sure yeah, so now sort of transitioning a little bit to looking towards your future. Um, yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, um, you have got the NASA Pathways Fellowship, which is an amazing achievement. Um, and this is actually the first year, I believe, that they're actually giving it out to people in science. It used to be just an engineering thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted you to sort of describe a little bit about what the fellowship is and what was sort of like the process for getting it. So yeah, NASA Pathways was a big engineering internship <clears throat> into a civil servant position at the end of your schooling period. But yeah, like you said, just recently they opened it up to the sciences, which is really cool. But NASA Pathways is an, an inter internship where you go to NASA or I guess in our situation right now, it can be remote and find an advisor, do some projects, talk to a lot of people at NASA, see what opportunities are available. And as you go on in your years while you're doing your schooling at undergraduate, graduate, and I think they got one for high school seniors or something like that. And so there's a, there's a level for that, <laughs> which is cool. And once that's over, you know, you have the opportunity to be, okay, do you want to be a civil servant if there's a position open or something like that? So that's a big, that's a big gateway. <laughs> like, I understand, you know, you've been with this um, company for a while and, you know, it seems weird that, oh yeah, you know, I've done this for so many years just to be able to walk in. I, I don't know why I find that a little like surprising or something like that, but it, it kind of makes sense. You know, they work with you and then you work with them. And as years go on, you get the idea of how this works. And, you know, you already know a bunch of people, so might as well sign on or something like that if you're still interested in being a civil servant at NASA. And I am, so I will be there <laughs> hopefully at the end of my PhD. So, but the application process. So let me think back. I did a lot of information gathering because the last time I was like met with Pathways, this was the job fair at Penn State. And it, this was for a center in Ohio. So, but it was for engineering, so I didn't do it. But I needed to gather more information for the sciences one. And I talked to a bunch of people and they gave me so many answers. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is something I think I could, I can get with and try to be a part of. So I applied, here's an application where you do this questionnaire and then that's automated. So whether the questionnaire passes or, well, if the questionnaire puts your application through to the program officers, They'll look at that and then interviews may come up. So there's multiple divisions 
in NASA. So there's solar system, computational, astrophysics, and planetary science and other things I can't remember right now. So you can get interviews for those. And then if you get selected, you choose interview time, and then you get stressed out and you have anxiety. And then, you know, how is that? How is the interview going to go? Because I went through that. <laughs> but then when we had it, it was, it was kind of chill because I think these people want to get to know you a little bit. So they don't ask, you know, the hard questions, all like that. They ask questions that, you know, you know tell us about something that you experienced or something like that. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I feel like those questions mean a lot and it brings the stress level down, <laughs> at least for me. So that was fun. And after that, I was just in a state of limbo. I'm like, wait, okay, so what's gonna happen? I was told I was gonna hear back at this time. I didn't hear back yet. Things are going slow because probably pandemic stuff, which I understand, yes. But I'm like, oh, what am I gonna know? What am I gonna know? But then I think in January, I think January 3rd, yes, I got an email and it was the subject title was about NASA pathways. So I have this thing where when I read application responses, there's two words I look for, congratulations and thank you. If it's one of those two things, you kind of know how the rest of the, um, rest of the letter is gonna go. In some cases, not everything. This one was congratulations. I didn't read it after I saw congratulations because I was already downstairs telling my mom that I got it and we were happy and all that stuff. She was like, did you read it? I know I didn't read it yet. <laughs> I was like, I'll be back. I read it and it, it was just even more goodness. So <laughs> yeah, that, that was a wild thing. And, you know, I was prepared to be like, well, if I don't get it, that's fine. I'm going to get to NASA somehow, some way. So that's not going to stop me if I don't get it. But it, uh, I guess, yeah, I got it. And I, the dream has been met already, I guess. So I just got to make sure I can keep it. And then things will be smooth. I just got to keep working hard. And I think things will fall into place. That's amazing, bro. Um, very well deserved, definitely. Jeez, oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> very well deserved. I was so happy for you when I got that news. Um, so I guess my next question talks a little. It's getting into a little bit into what we said we weren't going to talk about too much, but finances. So a big reason why me and Sammy started this podcast is to highlight the experiences of people that are underrepresented in the field of physics and astronomy, not only their experiences in the academic sphere, but also just sort of in life in general. And a big part of that is dealing with finances as a graduate student, because we are paid a stipend. It's not like an actual like job salary, like you would get if you, I don't know, had like a CS job or something like that. Um, we are grateful to have our education paid for and to get paid to study what we want to study. But a lot of the times it is, hard to meet uh, to make ends meet especially in like the economy of 
today um, just with how prices are for everything. So I guess now that you are going to be getting more money from um, NASA Pathways, do you feel like more financially stable? Um, has that sort of changed the way that you sort of like look at the next four years going? Oh my goodness, yes. With the fact, oh, I'm so grateful for this. It's, oh my gosh. Yeah, the fact that I'm financially stable, I can, you know, I can do more things for the community, like maybe try to do a workshop or a class at a community center for the for anybody who wants to learn about astronomy in the public, because that will cost money, but that's fine because I'll be able to pay for it or something like that. And, you know, the freedom to do things for others, you know, when you're stable, I think that's that's a very good thing, at least for me, because, you know, I, I say things that I want to do, but then oh, it costs money and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, maybe you can raise it or something like that. But I don't know how to do that stuff. <laughs> I know there's people who know how to do that and we can always collaborate. But I, I think, I think, yeah, I'm able to give back even more you know because I said earlier I had this tunnel vision stuff but now I'm a graduate student I can give back in terms of knowledge and you know, experiences and maybe you know just do do more things for others this just skyrocketed it so I oh my goodness I'm so grateful for that and uh, I, I'm a big believer in like hard work pays off. I know it may not be like that in other situations, but I just, I guess I just placed a bet on like being, getting into NASA some way. And I think, I think I just beat the house. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I can't jump the gun. Yeah. I got, I got to pass my PhD. Yeah. Yeah, bro. I mean, you bet on yourself and you put in the work and it paid off. And I just want to highlight that when I asked Isaiah about what he's going to do now, he's more now that he's more financially stable. The first thing that he thought of was about helping his community, and helping others. And that's not something that is seen often, especially in the world that we're in today. So, so that's just amazing. Bro. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I also... I also, when I've told my mom this before, and I said that at some point, I want to create a scholarship, a fellowship or something like that for people in underrepresented groups for undergraduate, um, for college, so that they can be financed at least partially, if not fully. I know that takes a lot of money to do that. <laughs> through their college careers so they don't have to have that financial burden because that has been done for me and I it was so helpful and I I feel like you know I, I wish everybody could have that experience so at some point in my years on this earth I want to be able to do something like that yeah you're very selfless, dude. And a lot of oh. people are going <laughs> to benefit from the kinds of things that you're really trying to do. So I think that's awesome. I really respect it. But just one more money question while we're on the topic already. Um, like, 
when you were applying for grad school and you didn't know about this pathways fellowship that you were going to get were you like ever second guessing or kind of doubting um your career choice because like for the majority of your 20s you were kind of going to be in a tough financial position so were there any doubts about that or were you all in so i'm i will say that i was all in and i'll say that because i have a wonderful family that will support me financially if they really need to so i thank them for that but i don't want them to because you know that's them and at some point i will be helping them out i don't know when but <laughs> that's that but you know i i was aware that i could take i could have done like a, a data science job i've i've done coding and i know those jobs make a lot more money than graduate students but i think i still had this oh yeah i want to do, i want to be an nasa astrophysicist and that's the way to do it so at least one of the ways to do it that I had in my mind. So I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. And whatever happens, happens. But I just hope things go well. Um, I put I put a lot of I put a lot of faith in things. So so far everything's been okay. And I hope it keeps going like that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's really admirable though. Like you just were determined to do something and now it's all kind of paying off. So it's really great to see. Yeah, it's so wild. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just um, a last quick question before we kind of move on to our closing remarks. I just want to know your thoughts on astrology, like as someone who studies the stars, <laughs> like just general thoughts, comments, concerns, I don't know. <laughs> so I, I haven't looked into astrology since I think like high school. Cause that's when you know it was on the rage or stuff and stuff stuff like that so i haven't checked in since then but watching i think watching classes like some um or talking to people about how astrology was important to our ancestors and how they told stories about the stars that's really cool um but i, I don't know i don't know if it's gotten away from that as time's gone on but uh other than yeah other than i guess the daily horoscope i don't i don't know <laughs> too much more about that <laughs> but that was an interesting question <laughs> thank you yeah yeah that is a really interesting question because a lot of times <laughs> uh, people just ask us like oh like can you like read the stars or like like what do you feel like can you tell like i don't know what's going to happen from like the stars or like like astrological questions and then we're like we don't study that <laughs> uh, like we study like the like what occurs like the phenomena try to understand the physics behind sort of what's going on up there but like you said um astrology did have a big impact on how our ancestors sort of told stories and that was i guess how first the stars were studied so yeah, definitely an interesting question and something to, I guess, think about sometimes more. Um, it would be interesting if there were sort of classes that like talked about sort of the transition from our ancestors studying the stars through like astrology to astrophysics and like sort of how that transition sort of occurred. That would be an interesting class. I don't know what department that'd be in, but like, that seems pretty cool. 
<laughs> I was gonna answer that astronomy. <laughs> well, like, yeah, but it could also be in like it could also be in like history of science, maybe like yeah. like something like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think there have definitely been things that are, have deviated from that. Um, especially people making decisions off of it and like life decisions like like in India, people get married off of it, different like oh. astrological like astrological like implications or like compatibilities what? and stuff that's i think that's probably how my parents were married because my parents got an arranged marriage in india oh, um, okay. so yeah obviously it is definitely deviated away from that um in ways that i mean i don't personally think is good but mm-hmm. but yeah definitely an interesting question um so yeah um i just wanted to end with sort of some quick hitters um just Jeez. to you know have some fun uh so the first one um is what is your top five anime i know that you're a huge anime lover um i probably already know what your number one is but i want to hear your top five yep number one's naruto (laughs) (laughs) all day i've been watching you since tsunami i just yeah no i grew up with that and number two i'd say is demon slayer that's a pretty recent one but I, I really just enjoy the story and I'm all about combat anime. <laughs> so yeah, that kind of gets into the other one. So Dragon Ball is the next one. Um, Hunter Hunter is the next one. And then the last one's One Punch Man. <laughs> one Punch Man is elite. It's so funny. <laughs> the brawling, I swear, it's it's uh it just gets me it gets me excited. So yeah. Wow, I need to watch some of these animes. I've only heard of Dragon Ball Z and Naruto. Well, you know Hunter Hunter like, too. Yeah, Gokes likes Hunter Hunter. And <laughs> I thought One Punch Man was a movie, to be honest. <laughs> Not a big anime guy. But um next quick hitter is your top five artists. Ah, so I actually I had the I had to think about this one. So top one is Bruno Mars. You know, especially with the recent project Silk Sonic, I I actually have to buy the physical copy because I don't think the it's the last time I bought a C, I bought a CD. I don't remember, but that will be the next one. <laughs> so I'll do that, and then the next one is Logic, and then Usher, and then T Pain, and then most recent artist that has been a thing, John Lindall. He just dropped a project called Opening Night, and that's on replay almost every day. <laughs> so another R and B pop artist. So, yeah. Sick. Yeah, Simi loves Bruno Mars and Silk Sonic as well. Hey. She has been playing that nonstop <laughs> ever since it came out. <laughs> like some of the songs have been stuck in my head for like weeks because she kept playing it so much. <laughs> Real, just come out of nowhere. You can't help but just dance, yo. You just Facts. can't help and or just sing, or you know, try to go. I I'm gonna get this era wrong, but I feel like was it 70s or 80s vibe? I feel like it was the 70s vibe, but you know, you want to go and dress up like that, and yeah, exactly. You feel rich watching, like <laughs> listening to that uh, record. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. It's a different vibe than anything we've really gotten recently, so I like it a lot. <laughs> So next is a uh, top five places that you want to visit in the world. 
Yeah, so <laughs> I haven't really planned that one out, but I, I'll say like the first place would be Kyoto, Japan. Start there and then travel um, in Japan to different places. Other than that, I think I'd, I, I have said that I want to go to London. It'd be a cool place to go. I've never been. I've just seen pictures um, because I think... I played with the idea that I, I probably wanted to apply to Cambridge in the UK, but I felt like, oh yeah, I'd be too far away, too far away from family <laughs> at that early stage. So no, but it would be nice to go there one day. And I think I just feel like Europe would be a great place to go. It's so it's such a broad answer but there's so many places <laughs> to go there maybe italy i know a conference i think you just told me that a conference is going to be in is it italy or is it france it's france the ztf the oh. ztf like conference i think is going to be in france this year yeah. yeah so it's like that's incredible you know another another thing about being in science you know you can get paid to go to conferences and those places could be amazing <laughs> yeah high so, energy meeting in hawaii next year right so that that'll be interesting because the AAS meeting was also in hawaii then so it'd be, it'd be nice you know just to just to get away again um but i think do i have a fourth place do i even have one i don't think i do no I don't know. I, I was going to say something crazy like Antarctica, but no, not, not even. Do you want to go <laughs> no. to Ice Cube? Ice Cube. See, I don't know how people do that down there. I like everything is so you got to get something right because if, if there's a hole somewhere, you're probably going to freeze. And I'm like, eh, I can't do that. <laughs> do you know that people actually take like science trips for Ice Cube down there? Like, I forgot how often they do them, but like that's actually pretty crazy. I could never, I could never, even, like just like I could never. I'm not going to space. I I wouldn't do that because my family's like, oh yeah, when you go into space, no, I will stay on this ground <laughs> and I will watch y'all go up. So, <laughs> yeah. What's the reasoning behind that? You just want to study space, but you don't want to go. Like, <laughs> see, you know. Maybe I'll go if I have to, but <laughs> Isaiah, wait, what was the what was the what was the quote you told me that one time we were at we were at Pongo and you were like, uh, uh, you don't let the universe say you said. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so I, I I've said this thing like I don't let the universe decide my fate. I decide my fate and what happens to me, <laughs> or something funny like that, um, because like. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen if I get in a rocket or something like that until everything's all checked off and safe or whatever. Or I'm just a little, I don't know, paranoid about that stuff. But staying on the ground, that'll be me. And I'll watch everybody go up there because there's been like so many successful missions. Yeah, right. But me, uh uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> I respect it. So, I don't even. Yeah, no, no, I want to learn to read. 
<laughs> That's funny. Um, last one, more for my personal reference for the next time I'm out there. But what are your like top five places to eat around the DMV area? So I need to actually get this leveled up because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have five, but I have a couple. I'll say if you like pizza, Andy's pizza is really good. I think that's the closest that I've experienced so far to, I think, like New York style pizza. That's what my roommates have said. And what's another place? Oh, K-Pot in Rockville, Maryland. It's it's a Korean barbecue and hot pot in the same place, same table. It is incredible. So I'll say that's two. And then there's this area, there's these two places, one in DC, one in Maryland. It's called the Block Food Hall. So there's a bunch of stuff in there. You can get boba, matcha stuff. You can get um, tacos from Little Minor Taco. You can get sushi. You can get all of those things. So I'd say that's like my third one. But so far, that's what I've got. Oh, and I've been to Fogo de Chao twice it's a brazilian steakhouse and i thought that was that was really nice i'll say that's four but yeah <laughs> i need to get more so <laughs> i'll let you know <laughs> yeah, like, we'll explore you. bro we'll explore, yeah you guys bro. can go on a food tour <laughs> hit me up after <laughs> gotcha <laughs> well that's all we had bro um i really appreciate you coming on uh, first guest thanks for supporting us um, goodness I'm so happy y'all invited me you know I I was lucky I was very nervous at first but it's like it's a conversation and you know y'all are super cool and I'm like I want to get you get to know y'all more so that is going to be great as time goes on but I'm very grateful that y'all invited me I'll do this anytime <laughs> Thank it, you. Bro. We're so grateful that you came and it was it went really well. We're really happy about our first episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you. 